The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail, episode number 20. I am Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. Trav, it, uh, it's Tuesday night here. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm just watching our boy Don Trump here give a, a rousing speech about God knows what, but uh, it's inspiring, I tell you. Is it truly the most inspiring speech it's of all inspiring speeches? Probably the best speech that's ever been given until Trump's next speech. So, I mean, he just gets, he's like a fine wine from Trump Vineyards. He just gets better with age. It pairs well with a nice Trump steak. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, I am also in a fantastic mood because this is conference championship week in college basketball, and it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, We don't really talk college hoops on here too much because we tend to focus on our, uh, our Cleveland teams, and there's just been so much going on with the Cavs. But uh, anybody who knows me knows that I am a diehard uh, OU Bobcats uh, men's basketball fan. And uh, the MAC tournament is coming to Cleveland this week. Um, once again, an annual event here at Quicken Loans Arena. So with uh, the MAC taking center stage here in town this weekend, uh, felt like we had a good excuse to get into it. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's. I, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting weekend. I think personally, I know there's a lot of hoopla around the first uh, first weekend of the actual the big tournament. But if if you're looking for incredibly entertaining basketball for four for four days, um, I think Thursday to Sunday is truly I think the quality of basketball might even be better than that first weekend. There's always a couple. There's always a handful of games in um, in that first week of the big tournament that are really entertaining and we remember a lot. But overall, if you actually like just really like college basketball and aren't necessarily 100% focused on your bracket, there's a ton of good games that will happen over that like three or four-day span that I think for true basketball fans will, I mean, really keep them, keep you interested for a good four days, I think. Yeah, and just this weekend, and this whole week, really, in general, there are just so many um, conferences uh, where you've got, especially when you get into the mid-majors, uh, like the MAC and, and some of the other smaller conferences, it's um, it's a scenario where you know that winning that tournament is going to be the only way you're getting into the big dance. And I just, I'm always totally glued to these games um, just because you could tell, like, the crowds, it's like a life-and-death nature with every possession um, because this is the, the, this is the pinnacle. So uh, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'll be down at the, at the MAC tournament. Um, I'll be at the championship game on Saturday. Yeah, but nice. uh, a lot of basketball to uh, be played down at the queue uh, in the MAC tourney between now and then. So um, to help get us ready for that, I uh, did an interview earlier tonight with uh, Jason Arkley of the Athens Messenger. Uh, Jason does a great job covering uh, the Ohio uh, teams. He does football in the fall and uh, the uh, men's and women's teams uh, for basketball in the wintertime here. And 
Um, he's been on the beat for about 10 years now and really knows his stuff uh, about the Mac in general. So with the tournament kicking off here in Cleveland on Thursday, the quarterfinal round uh, starting on Thursday for the men, uh, wanted to get Jason on the pod uh, to help get us uh, up and running. So um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play that interview with Jason Arkley, and then uh, Trav and I will come back here uh, right afterwards and uh, talk a little bit more college hoops and uh, then get into a few other things. All right, as promised, from the Athens Messenger, Jason Arkley. Jason, glad to have you on the nail. Welcome aboard. Uh, Thank you very much, Tom. Glad to be here. All right, so the first thing I wanted to talk to you about as we look ahead to this weekend with the MAC tournament uh, coming to the queue, starting uh, quarterfinals on Thursday for the men's tournament, I wanted to talk about just how wide open this tournament could be this year. But after last night's first round games on the campus sites, apparently we don't need to wait for the games in Cleveland for all hell to break loose in this tournament. What uh, What's going on? Uh, Monday night was a perfect example of what you've seen most of the year in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, it really, teams one through nine, there wasn't a whole lot of separation during the course of the year. I think the two seed was separated by, from the nine seed by just three games. And then the bottom three teams in the overall standings, Western Michigan, Miami, BG, all had their moments. Uh, Miami finished the, the regular season as probably the, the hottest team in the conference. Uh, BG matched up well with a couple specific opponents. Specific opponents, And then uh, Western Michigan, uh, a, a young group, which will be much better next year. But uh, it, it wasn't surprising to me to see two lower-seeded teams win last night. I was hoping that all four road teams would pull it off. Didn't quite get it done, but we had four fairly close games. And in uh, Miami, uh, they look like the worst, one of the worst teams in all Division One basketball about a month ago. Uh, but they've been certainly one of the best teams in this conference over the last two and a half weeks. So, if you've been paying close attention, the results won't surprise you. But anytime you see an 11 seed and a 12 seed win on the same night, yeah, that's that's a pretty good indication that this this MAC tournament is as wide open as it's ever been. Yeah, those were the uh, the two bottom seeds in the in the entire bracket. Um, I, I was going to get into uh, dark horses later, but since you brought up Miami, let's go ahead and and get into them now. Uh, I, I watched uh, quite a bit of that game, uh, the regular season finale that they played against Ohio, and I know the Bobcats uh, built up the big lead and almost squandered it entirely, actually fell behind in the last couple minutes uh, before um, finally pulling it out at the end with a, a two-point win for, for OU. But Miami looks a lot better than you would expect a, a second-worst team in the conference to be. Yeah, that's true, and it, you wonder why it took so long to click. Uh, John Cooper... Uh, this is his fourth year running that program. He had a roster with eight seniors on it, uh, some veteran guards, good guard play, and, and Giovanni McKnight, Eric Washington, uh, basically running two point guards out there on the floor at the same time. Uh, what has happened down the stretch, they're playing much cleaner. Uh, they're not turning the ball over as much. They're being more uh, methodical on the offensive end, but methodical with a purpose, not just burning clock to burn clock, but to work and, and get good looks. Uh, so they've shot the ball better. Uh, they've turned the ball over a lot less. And the thing they're doing defensively is they're not going full court pressure, but they're switching up defensive looks every second or third possession. You'll see a 2-3 zone. They'll play a couple trips man. They'll go 1-3-1. One, one. And all this is designed to, to just throw the opponent off off stride. And they're going to do what they do, and, and that's get open looks for McKnight and, and Washington. And their formula down the stretch has been low-scoring game, 
uh, low possession game, and it's going to come down to the last four minutes, and they've uh, executed that pretty well, winning four of five. And the one loss you, you referenced was the two-point setback on their home floor to Ohio on Friday night. So they're, they're, they're going to be a tough out. Do I think they can win the whole tournament? I, I'm not quite sold to that degree with the Red Hawks, but whoever's going to play them is going to, is going to hate it because of the way they're playing, how well they're playing, and the style they employ. So they're going to be one of those teams that uh, coaches are going to be pulling their fingernails out to, you know, just that whole 40 minutes. And you saw it Monday night. James Whitford looked like he was going to have a coronary. Just You can never get running against this, this Red Hawk club right now. Yeah. And then the other big upset from Monday night in the first round, Bowling Green uh, goes into Kent State and knocks off the flashes. I know Kent State has a pretty good following up here in Northeast Ohio. That was a team that I was pretty concerned about, even though they're on the opposite half of the bracket from uh, from my Bobcats. Uh, I still thought uh, Kent State was capable of making a real run in this tournament and uh, possibly even being a, a good um candidate to to win the whole thing and uh they're out in the first round what happened uh what happened was they ran into a bg club that can punish you when spencer parker gets rolling uh and bg is built on creating off the dribble especially with their with their three and four guys uh small forward types and once they get going and they did this to Ohio twice this year. They look like uh, one of the better teams in the league twice against the Bobcats, not so much against everyone else. But when Parker and, and those guys get going downhill to the rim, it kind of feeds on itself, and they become a really difficult team to stop. Now, I, I, was, I was with you. Uh, in a piece I wrote month, uh, on Sunday, I had picked Kent State as, as my, if you're going to pick a team outside the top four, I, I really like Kent State to make a run and, and get in the championship game because – they have good front court depth. They have one of the better uh, post scorers in the league in Jimmy Hall. And I thought they had had enough time without Xavier Pollard, uh, lost for the season because of injury. I thought they had enough time without him that they kind of adjusted and recalibrated with his absence and were ready to hit the tournament uh, ground, you know, on, on, on running full steam. And it just wasn't the case. They, they got up a little bit in the first half, a couple different stretches, but couldn't knock out BG and, uh, again, you get you get in a close game, last four, five, six minutes, one or two possessions, and uh, you can come out on the wrong side of things. That's why securing a bye is always the number one goal for every MAC team. Uh, yes, you're playing on your home floor. Yes, you're playing against a lower seed, but the separation in this conference is is, is not great. And uh, I don't care if you're playing the 11 seed or the 12 seed. There's there's a chance they can beat you if you don't if you're not minding your your P's and Q's. And I think Kent State fell into that trap a little bit and started looking ahead. Okay, two things. First off, um, you're a very honorable man because I read that story on Sunday night and I, <laughs> I saw you had your prediction um, that Kent State could be a team to look out for and I agreed with it. And I was not going to bring that up seeing as how they lost. So the fact that you, uh, even still after they got beat last night, you're uh, owning up to that uh, that prediction from Sunday night, uh, I, I tip my cap to you. Well, well, well thanks. And uh the Golden, I like the Golden Flashes. I thought they matched up well with, with Akron. They do things well that Akron doesn't. Uh, they played Ohio very tough twice. You know, they played well against the top two seeds in four games. And I thought with a break here or there, they could be very well in the final. And, and like I said, I thought they had worked their way through the injury issues. But uh, a lot of uh, talk around the Ohio basketball offices this week regarding the MAC tournament, the, the one word I saw most often was bloodbath. Uh, anyone losing to anyone uh, won't be a complete shock to anyone in the conference this year. It, and it got started on Monday night that way. 
Definitely. So the other thing you had mentioned was the importance of securing a buy. And it's important to point out to everybody listening to this, um, the, the, the tournament here has gone back to the old format, right? Because the last few years, the, the conference had tried um, rewarding the very top teams in the conference um, with a, the first and second place teams with a bye all the way to the semifinals and the third and fourth place teams um, getting a bye to the de facto quarterfinals. And uh, this year it went back to the old system of just the top four teams get a bye to the quarters and the uh, five through 12 play a first round game. Do you think um, that was the right move going back um, to the system that is in place this year? From a purely spectator point of view, I, I like the format this year a lot better. I like having the, the four men's games all in a row on one day. I like the fact that uh, even if you're the one seed, you still have to win three games to claim the conference tournament. I like the anything that leads to more chaos in general, uh, I'm usually a fan for, and I think this format – uh, sets that up, sets that up for a much greater probability. The, the format the last couple of years was was weird and odd, and, and I I didn't think it fit the MAC. In the MAC is a conference where, when you're talking about your third seed or your fourth seed, there, there's usually not a lot of difference between them and the the five and the six, or even the two and the three. Like imagine last year's format with this year's results, you would have had Ohio as as the two seed, and essentially they were you know, neck and neck with about six other teams throughout the whole, the whole season. But yet Ohio would have gotten a, a direct trip to the semifinals where central Michigan, you know, the four seed, they would have had to play an extra game uh, for, for no, you know, no good reason. You know, when you don't have a completely balanced schedule, which the Mac doesn't with the East and West divisions, it doesn't make sense for me to me to penalize a team that finishes four or fifth to the degree that they were penalized under the old format. I, I like the three the three days in a row. I think from a spectator point, spectator's point of view, it's it's much better. And, and like I said, it just feels like uh, more of a tournament. When you're the one or the two seed, the odds of uh, the odds of that that team even facing a, a six, seven, or eight seed uh, just just didn't happen. Uh, it, it was impossible. If you were seated outside the top four, you had to win f- like five games in six days, and it, it just wasn't going to happen. I can see the Max point of view. They wanted to structure the tournament a little differently. I still think Ohio's victory in 2010, when Ohio came through as the nine seed and won the whole thing and went to the, the NCAA, I think that was a big catalyst um, amongst the league's coaches at the time and maybe Mac management in that we got to do more to protect our one and two seeds. Uh, but but I, I wasn't a fan of the format of the previous couple of years. Uh, I, I think year in, year out, the, the separation usually between the top of the conference isn't enough to, to warrant such a big, big reward for, for teams up that, for teams in the one and two slot. Yeah, like when, it, when they first put that in, I was sort of in favor of it just because I like the idea of really rewarding the regular season champion, um, especially because the MAC ends up typically being a one-bid league um, for the NCAAs, and, and you want to reward your best team. And I can appreciate the sentiment there, but actually seeing it play out, um, just like what you were talking about, the, the way this year's standings played out. Now, OU finished, uh, I believe, 11-7 and seven in mm-hmm. MAC play, and they were the second-place team outright. And then there were, I think, four teams that all finished 10-8. and eight. Now, yeah. if o- Ohio would have lost that game to Miami – last Friday, 
Ohio also finishes 10 and 8. Now, I think if I was reading um, everybody on uh, Bobcat Attack uh, message boards uh, correctly, I, I think um, they still would have won the tiebreaker and gotten the number two seed in the bracket. And I could only imagine what the uproar would have been from some of these other schools if you have one team that finishes 10 and 8, getting a bye all the way to the semifinals, and then you've got another team that finishes 10 and 8 that has to win five games in six days. That's yeah, insane. It, it, that, that To me, that was a more likely scenario as opposed to having your MAC regular season champion, you know, 25 and 4 with a good RPI and, and them losing in the semifinals to a, to an eight seed and taking the RPI hit that that keeps them out of the tournament. To me, that was a once in a blue moon scenario. Whereas the, the, the standings this year, the, the setup this year, to me, that's much more likely to happen. And I didn't feel like penalizing those, those teams that, you know, that finished three, four, five, six, seven to the degree that they weren't under the old format was right. I, I think you, you try to structure your tournament based on what your conference is year in, year out, not some mythical maybe scenario where you would protect a one seed that, you know, takes a bad RPI hit in a semifinal loss that, that may never happen. So I, I, I like the new, I, the new, the, the new format that used to be the old format. I like the way it's set up this year. Uh, it's, it's just much more enjoyable to me. Me too, although I reserve the right to change my mind if uh, Ohio has a catastrophe on Thursday night against Northern Illinois. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, other quarterfinal matchups, the, the top seed, the regular season uh, champion of the MAC, Akron, back up at the top of the standings here this year. Um, they play the noon game. I was somewhat stunned that uh, the MAC wouldn't uh, kind of gerrymander the uh, the time slots to make sure that Akron was playing a night game. I was um, somewhat surprised to see them playing at high noon on Thursday against Eastern Michigan. Now, the last time I watched Akron play was the game against Ohio uh, a week ago tonight, and they hit an ungodly number of three-pointers. I think they hit 20 for the game, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but their first 30 points they scored in the game in the first 10 minutes of the game came on 10 three-pointers, right? Right. They had 10 three-pointers in 10 minutes. It was it was insane, yes. I, I made a joke on uh, – on Twitter, it was um, LeBron James bobblehead night at the jar. And one of the things that we had talked about on this podcast last week is that I think LeBron's had a lot of frustration that uh, his role as kind of the alpha dog of the NBA has been usurped, so to speak, by Steph Curry. And now he's got a bobblehead night at Akron. And Akron comes out and starts shooting like Steph Curry on LeBron James night. So he just he can't get away from it this year. But uh, good, good point. Yes. Oh, uh, it was it was horrifying on just a number of levels for me. I did not enjoy any of that. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't get a passive uh, passive aggressive tweet from LeBron after that that uh, three point explosion. Yeah, that would certainly be in line with everything else we've seen from him lately. <laughs> uh, good grief! But anyway, let, um, that was not the only game this year, even recently, where Akron has had a, a crazy. Uh, outburst from the the three-point line i I think they had won their game before that um doing something almost uh almost the same yeah they hit 19 threes the game before that when they bbg it's been interesting to watch the zips this year uh keith dan brought his his mo uh in in the mac with akron has always been i'm going to play 9 10 11 uh, every now and then 12 guys i'm going to have a deep team i'm going to play all these guys i'm going to play them 20 25 
22 minutes a night. We're going to be big. We're going to be physical. We're going to be able to score on the block and we're going to rebound the heck out of the basketball. This year, he's went small ball. He's he's embraced the three-point shot like he never has before and like few teams in this conference have. They've shot more threes than anyone else in the conference. They've made more threes than anyone else in the conference. And Akron, always under Dan Brown, is known as offensive rebound team, pound you on the pound you in the paint this year they're playing four guys on the arc and uh, sometimes isaiah johnson in the middle and they are just chucking away uh, uh maybe a screen and roll action maybe a, a double screen off the you know a stagger but uh, odds are they're shooting more threes than two-point attempts per game it's not strange it's who they are this year and it's it's been it's been interesting to watch dan brock kind of flip the script on what he's been about as as an as an offensive coach this season he feels it fits his personnel. Uh, you can't really argue with the results. They're they're knocking enough in to, to really make it uh, uh, you know, to obviously earn the one seed, be the MAC regular season champion. But it just and they're they're still good in some areas. You know, they're not as good defensively as they were. They're not as not as strong on the glass or in the paint. But it, it has been dramatic to see them embrace the three point shot so wholeheartedly and dive in head first and and without looking back. And to me, they're an interesting one seed because. They've earned it, obviously, but there's that nagging, and the Warriors still fight this to the day, to this day a little bit. There's this, still this nagging doubt in the back of your mind, but you know, can a team that really relies on the three this much uh, win games in a row? Uh, can they win? Can they be hot from the arc three nights in a row to win in Cleveland? And so that'll be the thing to watch with with Akron this weekend, this weekend in the queue. And uh, it's it's Dan Brott's issues, his team's issues before have been, can they find offense somewhere else if they can't cram it down your throat? Their issue this year is, can they find offense somewhere else if they can't stay hot from three-point range? So it's it's been neat to see that completely flip around. Um, the the live-and-die-by-the-three-pointer formula feels like it's um, much more likely to blow up in your face as a, a mid-major college team than if you're the Warriors. <laughs> Or at least that's what I'm convincing myself of here um, over you, the next three days. But you hear that even now with with Warriors and everything they've accomplished. There's there's still that old school kind of thought that like yeah, but 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 you're not doing it the right way kind of deal. And uh, Akron's not the only team to embrace the three in the league. Uh, Ohio shoots a ton of three pointers. Central Michigan kind of pioneered that style last year with the way they play. Uh, Ball State, even though they play at a slow play slow pace and don't didn't score a ton of points. They were a heavy three-point shooting team. And you're seeing it across all levels of basketball. You're seeing it at the high school level now. Uh, you certainly see it in the NBA with the with the the death of the traditional center, so to speak. Uh, uh, small ball is, is taking over uh, basketball in a, in a big, big way, and it's uh, it's certainly here here to stay, at least for, for the short term in the MAC. All right, so let, let's get into it uh, about my Bobcats here. They oh, play yeah. on uh, – <laughs> Thursday night, 6.30, Northern Illinois. Uh, OU is the two-seed. Um, huge turnaround uh, for that team this season. Uh, uh, a 10-win campaign last year. Um, a lot of frustration in the locker room was kind of the word on the street. We got uh, several new faces this year, and uh, Coach Saul Phillips has got uh, got him at uh, 20 and 10. Um, so good to see us back in the mix Um What's or who has been the biggest difference this season that's uh, turned things around? Uh, we'll start with personnel first. Uh, you, you don't have to go any further than the point guard, Jerron Simmons. Uh, he's a sophomore. He's a kid from Dayton. I went to Kettering Alder High School. Uh, signed with Houston out of high school. 
spent a year down there, and then they had their exodus. Uh, uh, you know, a bunch of kids tried to transfer out and play right away. Jerron transferred out, had to sit a year uh, at Ohio last season, and he practiced all last year with Ohio. And it was it was evident early on and throughout last year that Jerron Simmons was the best traditional point guard on the roster. And a lot of Ohio's issues last year was not having someone who could direct the offense in a meaningful manner on the floor. And uh, he immediately solved a lot of those issues uh, simply by becoming eligible after the sit-out year. Uh, strong kid, driven guy, uh, just, you know, if you could come up with a, a sheet of paper and sketch out what you wanted, you know, your your mid-major point guard to be, Jerron Simmons fits the bill to a T. He's he's smart, he works hard, he works on his game relentlessly, and he's a rock. Uh and he has been a rock for this club since since last April. Uh he's the unquestioned leader on the floor. And with him out there running things, uh the Bobcats always feel they'll get a good shot or they'll be in an opportunity to win the game. Uh two other pieces well, three other pieces that have really kind of changed the outlook of this team. Uh, one, uh, the one senior on the roster, Treg Setti, uh, got he's he's become dramatically better. Uh, he was always the crazy guy. He was he was Birdman for the Bobcast the last two years. Uh, he uh, he he has matured. He learned to accept his role and and didn't didn't stop buying into to everything else and just wanted to be as good a basketball player as he could be and be as helpful and, and do as much for this team as he could. And he's been a, a consistent player and, and been a real glue guy when he was the opposite of glue the last two years. Uh, so his development has been key. Tony Campbell taking a step forward this year, uh, junior forward. He's probably six, nine ish. Uh, you see his height listed a couple different places, but you know, he's six, nine, maybe six, 10, uh, he has an uncommon grace and fluidity to his game. He's not a banger, much more of a finesse guy, uh, very comfortable on the, on the perimeter. Uh, he shot over 40% from three this year. He, his numbers have exploded. Uh, I think he will be named the Mac player of the year this week. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that pans out, but to me, he was the best player in the league. And then uh, the young guys, they brought in five freshmen. Two of them have played significant minutes this year, Jordan Dardis, Central Ohio kid and Gavin Block out of Illinois. Those two guys play a ton of minutes, but all five guys I thought personified and 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 really uh, were examples of the kind of players that Saul Phillips is looking for. Uh, solid, good attitude guys who who just want to work on their game and get along with their teammates. They none of them I think had the the flashiest recruiting profile, but it was evident from the first day of summer workouts that these guys gelled or, or they were in sync with what Saul Phillips wants as players. They, they were able to get in sync with the older guys on the team right away. And those five freshmen, as much as anyone deserve credit for the attitude turnaround for this program from, from Phillips's first year to this year, uh, they brightened the locker room considerably and uh, they they've helped this group uh, start to realize its potential. This was always going to be a, a, to me this year was always going to be setting up next season. Um, I, you wondered how far along this, this development path they could get. Well, it turns out they, they got pretty good and then they got to the end of that path almost this season. Now can they finish it off with a Mac championship? But uh, so they've been, they've exceeded my expectations. Uh, and, and again, I've covered Ohio basketball for, for 10 years now. And this has been by far the closest group uh, of players in, in a single locker room. Uh, they genuinely like each other. A lot of teams say that, and then they lose a couple games in February, and the fingers start pointing. The fingers start pointing. The guys start complaining. 
Uh, people get sullen. Uh, that has not happened with this group. Uh, they've been rock solid from day one, and you, you, you hoped it paid off with some wins, and it did. They, they were uh, certainly one of the better, one of the at least two or three best teams in the conference the last six weeks of the regular season. So they, they exceeded your expectations. Are you surprised, though, that that they're in the position that they're in right now? Because I came into the year feeling like there's no way it's going to be uh, as bad of a year as last year was, and uh, that turned into pretty much a wilderness campaign. But I, I don't know. I guess I kind of came in with modest expectations, but um, I really felt like this was going to be kind of a, a development year, especially with playing all these young guys and, you know, um, here we are in March and, and they got a real shot to win this weekend. I think I thought uh, back in September, October, you know, I was, I was kind of projecting the season. I, I should probably write those down and, and publish those to make me look smarter. But um, I, I, you know, you go down the schedule, can they win this game? Can they win that game? And, and I had, a, I had a good Ohio season. If they didn't lose Simmons for like a month or this or the year with an, you know, that kind of stuff factored in. If everyone stayed healthy and relatively available, I thought 18 wins, this team gets to 18 wins. I, I think they've hit every every kind of conceivable expectation you could have. Uh, I was looking at maybe nine and nine in conference. Uh, you know, 18 wins overall, probably a seven eight seed in the MAC tournament, maybe win a game there. Uh, but but and again, they, you know, it's not like they went 16 and two in conference play. But uh, you know, at 11 and seven, and as the two seed, uh, yeah, that that was that was above anything that I thought this group was capable of back in back in the preseason. Now you, you saw flashes along the way. They played well against some, some decent competition early in the year that kind of give you kind of gave you a hint about the, the ultimate upside of this group. And along the way, their defense has gotten a little better. They got a little better at defending uh, or on the defensive glass. The turnover numbers went down throughout the season. Uh, so they, they developed the whole year. They, they didn't reach a point and, and simply get content with where they were. This, this group keeps pushing and um, they're in a great position. You know, you got to win three games and three nights in Cleveland and you can go to the NCAA tournament. And with the exception of Akron and BG, they've, they've proven they can, they can beat anyone in the conference, I think. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the, the bright lights on Thursday night. That'll be a big, big stage for a lot of guys. Uh, Kenny Kaminsky, the, the Michigan, tra- Michigan State transfer, I know he wants to show up and, and play well and, 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 and kind of live up to, to his billing, John Simmons. I'm not concerned about how will the freshmen react to that kind of. Thing. So all that stuff to me is interesting. But you know, if if they get housed by Northern uh, Illinois on Thursday, then to me the season was still a success. This team is this this program is still further ahead than I anticipated. You know, six months ago, and Saul Phillips deserves a lot of credit for that. Last year was tough on everyone involved, uh, him him especially. Uh, even the off season, they they had a player transfer out in June. Uh, which they had not anticipated. Saul Phils found out his wife had breast cancer during the summer, and uh, his his ability to to not give in and and become a ranting madman either in practice or in games uh, is is a credit. And these guys responded to that that way. He's able to maintain an even keel all the time. He's got guys that respond to him the way he's had guys respond to him before. Maybe the mixture last year, uh, those guys were used to responding to a different type of coach, and it didn't click. But uh, his leadership has been essential in, in getting this group up and going. And and again, with one senior on the roster, uh, this could be a you know, the start of a, a really nice two-year run for the Bobcats. Well, it's been a really great story to follow, a, a fun team to watch this year. And um, you know, here's hoping, at least from my corner, that uh, 
we get uh, another uh, fun chapter this weekend. Um, last one here before we, we wrap up and let you go. A- any other teams that we have not talked about or anybody else lurking out there that you might want us to keep an eye out for? I, I was brave enough to put Kent State as a dark horse pick in print. The other team I was not brave enough to name publicly uh, would be the eighth seed. Eastern Michigan is uh, is a team I love to watch from afar because they have obvious talent. Uh, James Thompson's the Mac freshman of the year. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's power five conference talent level. Uh, Raven Lee uh, may, might be the best shot maker in the entire conference. They have springy guys. They have athletic guys. They play an up and down the floor kind of pace. Uh, their, their hang up has been uh, maturity, uh, the mental part of the game. You never know when it's going to go off the rails, but no other team in this conference, in my opinion, is, is capable uh, of going on a run in a positive direction like they are. They're, they're the high-variance team of the, uh, of the squads left. They're the highest-variance team. In a lot of ways, that group, Eastern Michigan this year, reminds me of uh, Ohio University in 2010, uh, a group that, uh, that uh, went up and down and left and right and all over the map and had all kinds of uh, issues and, and attitudes and, and this and that in the locker room, but they, they found a way to get hot in March and, and win the whole thing. And if there was one team in this field that could do that and have some of those same sort of issues to work through, it would be Eastern Michigan. So Akron needs to beware. They're playing at noon on Thursday. Not a usual start time for them. Uh, we'll see if they're cold. And if, if, they, if they struggle early, Eastern, I'm telling you, can, can put up points real quickly. Uh, can the Eagles handle success and handle lead? Well, they haven't shown much of that this year, but they're, they're one of the funner teams to watch in this whole conference. And that would be the real dark horse. If they could, if they could keep things together for, for three more days and win this thing, that would be, uh, that would be, that would be a heck of a run. Hmm. Interesting. I, uh, that's not a team that's been on my radar this year. So I'm going to have to. Well, that's because they, they, they are there. You watch them and you see guys yelling at each other. You see the coach yelling at Raven Lee. Raven Lee sulking back. To the, I mean, they've got issues. Don't don't get me wrong, but uh, they have athletic ability and and some genuine talent that, if it catches fire, could be a, a really interesting watch. And then, you know, I probably just gave them the kiss of death, and they'll come out like Kent State and and score thirty thirty points and lose on Thursday afternoon. But uh, that would be the 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 really the, the the outlier, the real real dark horse candidate. Uh, to, to win this whole thing. Well, hey, either they're going to be spectacular this weekend or they're going to have a spectacular implosion. At, uh... it, it's it's like I told my friends when the Browns drafted Johnny Manziel. It's it's going to be spectacular. Oh, no. <laughs> it's one way or the other. There's going to be no in-between. There's going to be nothing mediocre about it. It's going to be perfect or it's going to be a complete train wreck. And that's that's that kind of sums up what Eastern Michigan is right now. Well, if any Eastern Michigan fans were listening and you had their hopes built up um, – <laughs> With your uh, insights over the last couple of minutes, you just brought them to a, a crashing halt uh, by uh, comparing them to good old Johnny Football. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in Cleveland. I'm, I'm feeling the spirit, and that that is true. That when when they announced his name two years ago, I that was my first reaction. There was no way this was going to end ho hum. Uh, it was going to be spectacular blow up, spectacular success, no in between. Yeah, and we know uh, how about, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Jason, uh, excellent insights. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And um should be a, a very fun few days down at the queue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Tom. I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll be here 
all week. Uh, whether Ohio wins or loses, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around and cover the tournament. Uh, make sure if you want up to date, real time stuff. I'm on Twitter. I'm fairly active there, and uh, AthensMessenger.com. That's where all the the real stories that I write will appear in one form or fashion. Yes, uh, AthensMessenger.com for uh, all of Jason's. Uh, Excellent, uh, excellent work. And um, Twitter, uh, as he mentioned, uh, at Jason A. Messenger, right? That's right. Excellent. It looks a little awkward, but uh, yeah, that's that's the handle. Good stuff, man. Well, hey, listen, I really appreciate it. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. Have a Thank- good one. All right, you too. All right, so there you go. That was Jason Arkley of the Athens Messenger. Our thanks again to Jason for joining us. Um, fantastic interview. I, I really uh, enjoyed all of his insights and um, feel like we're definitely ready to go for um, the Mac uh, Mac Madness here at uh, Quicken Loans Arena this weekend. Yeah, Trev, I, I got to tell you, one of the things that's always really impressed me, I've been following the Mac tournament now um, for probably about 15 or 16 years. And... Um, for a mid-major, it really they really pull out all the stops for it, and I think it's really a lot of fun. Uh, the fact that they get to play in an NBA arena, um, they've got their own custom floor brought into the queue for it, which is something that um, the MAC was doing um, really before a whole lot of the other conference tournaments um, started doing that, and there are some that still don't. And um, the uh, the other thing is the championship game is on Saturday night on ESPN2, which is a pretty prime TV slot. Um, I think it's kind of funny that uh, they get such a, a prime slot for their basketball championship game when the conference really has kind of made its mark nationally for playing football games at the weirdest times uh, during weeknights in the fall. Yeah, I, I, I think the Mac's done a really good job, I think, of creating their own sort of tradition around it. Um if you look at like historically that some of the guys that they've had, there's been some, some guys that have really made, um, made names for themselves, not necessarily like long-term and they may not go on to, um, I don't know, like long-term at an NBA success or anything like that. But, um, there's guys that, I mean, you remember them because they, a lot of times they may lead a good team, uh, through the MAC tournament, and they go to the big tournament, and they make a little bit of noise. Um, the one that jumps out to me is Trevor Hoffman. That year that uh, Kent State had a, an awesome run through the MAC tournament, the Big Ten tournament. Um, there's been other guys. I mean, DJ Cooper, not that long ago, was awesome. Um, even Antonio Gates, who went on to pro success in a completely different sport. <laughs> um, yeah, Gates was on that team with Huffman. That was the O2 team for Kent State that went all the way to the Elite Eight in the NCAAs. Yeah, and I think, I mean, these aren't guys that go on to, to huge success, but I think I think you, you don't see it as much with college football because really those lower bowl games don't get as much attention as the lower teams in like the tournaments get for basketball. But there's guys that can really make, I mean, make a pretty impressive um, uh, legacy for themselves without really having any uh, doing anything else afterwards Um, just by making a little noise and being on a pretty good team. And I think that's sort of what makes college basketball special is you really only need to be hot for two or three games 
and people will, will remember you for a very long time. And I don't think that's true really in any other sport um, at any other level. Yeah, you mentioned Cooper with uh, with OU. I mean, he really kind of uh, established himself on the national stage in 2010 because that was like an OU team. Like you're saying, you just get hot at the right time. In 2010, they were the ninth seed in the MAC tournament, and um, Jason uh, and I had kind of gotten into this uh, during his interview. But yeah, they were a ninth seed, and Coop led that team all the way into the NCAAs. And um, once they got there, they upset Georgetown, and then two years later, uh, they were seated a little higher in the MAC tournament. Um, but again, they won it, and Cooper was leading the way. And they go into the NCAAs and they beat Michigan and they beat South Florida and they took uh, North Carolina one seed that year to overtime. So um, there, there's certainly a possibility for Cinderella stories um, in college basketball that you really don't get in football. Yeah, no question. I think um, those guys can really um, create something special on campus, on those little campuses. Like, OU is not a huge campus, but I guarantee you when, um, what was it, I think 2012, mm-hmm. 2013, when OU beat Michigan and a couple of years before when they beat Georgetown, um, that's that's what, I mean, that's really what college basketball is supposed to be about. I hate to, I don't want to get all uh, like <laughs> sappy and cliche, but truly that's what you like to see. Everyone has seen Kentucky beat somebody by 40 points. You know, that's not, that's not exciting. It's not interesting. It's not new. It's what's supposed to happen. But when you see these guys who are kind of the underdog and they're not as big, they're not as fast, they're not as athletic as the teams that they're going against, but they just have a little more heart and a little more luck on that day. Um, It's the reason that that, that one shiny moment video at the end of the tournament is so exciting. And I enjoy watching it every year is because it's these guys that truly you'll never hear from again, but they put on some incredible performance that just everybody, because of the nature of the tournament, everyone in the country is watching usually when that sort of stuff happens, even though they may not know anything about the team or anything about the guy that's, that's making that big shot. Um, and it, it's really what has allowed uh, March Madness to be created, I think, in the first place. Yeah, no question. And uh, just to kind of bring this thing full circle, I, when we start talking about um, the NCAA tournament, um, and, and March Madness at large, one of the big running themes, I think, with uh, college basketball this year is that there really hasn't been any one dominant team. And uh, there's a general sense around the country that anything could happen this year in March Madness. And that hasn't necessarily been the case in past years, um, especially with like Kentucky running the table last year uh, up till the final four. And, you know, they ultimately got beat, but they were the dominant story all throughout the season. And sure. there hasn't been a team like that. And interestingly, on a smaller scale, um, the Mac is really, uh, I, I think we're going to see something um, on a smaller scale that's going to be very similar because within that conference, um, Akron uh, finished the regular season with the best record. But, uh, you know, they, they still had five losses in conference, and, and um, there were four teams that were tied at 10 and 8, and it's, it's a very balanced bracket. And um, like Jason and I were saying uh, earlier on, um, the, the two worst teams in the regular season both went and won their opening round games on campus sites uh, on Monday night. So should be a really unpredictable couple of weeks here, and I'm really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, earlier this week, I want to say it was probably just yesterday. It might have been the day before. I can't remember. Um, But I was just listening to the radio and I heard that first team that like, oh, yeah, so-and-so. I think think it might have been Yale. Um, So-and-so clinches the first bid in the NCAA tournament. And that sort of like triggers it in my head. They're like, okay, this part of the season's coming. I, I think because there was so much parity and selfishly because Ohio State wasn't uh, doesn't seem like a threat this year to anyone, um, I wasn't necessarily as, as invested in March Madness as I would normally be. But once it gets down to it, I think you probably as a basketball fan as well, um, you wake up and you get you get more into it, I think, than you probably even think you are, even just like a week or so before. Um, once you start to see that, okay, it's that time of year again, um, it just kind of comes around and I think it's exciting and it's probably the best. Um, the first four days of the college tournament are probably the most interesting, um, and distracting four days of sports that you'll have. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, not an accident. The last few years I've made sure to line up my vacation days with, uh, the opening of uh, March Madness, but you know, since you mentioned Ohio State, uh, I think you've watched their uh, their basketball team a little bit more than I have. Uh, I, I've kind of turned my attention to OU and the MAC, but uh, get us up to speed here on Ohio State. Um, are, are they? Uh, what are we looking at with the with the Big Ten tournament? Um, do they do they need to to win the thing in order to get to the big dance? Or well, they're probably in the first six to eight out right now um for those that don't don't follow too much there's what's called a bubble for the ncaa tournament and if you're not if you don't have a rock solid resume you're considered on the bubble either in or out of the tournament right now ohio state's pretty easily out quite frankly um they they had a rough start to their season uh they had dropped a couple games to teams that looking back if they could have won those um would have put them in a much safer position. They lost to UT Arlington and Louisiana Tech in back-to-back games just uh, right at the beginning of the season. And they beat um, Kentucky. <laughs> and then, and then, like, yeah, and then a month later they beat Kentucky, um, which surprised just about anyone who's watched this team. They've been kind of, kind of bipolar. They haven't been terribly consistent. They had a good win against Iowa um, about a week ago. Um, they had a, a good win against Michigan. Uh, a couple weeks before that, a couple close games, like they took Maryland down to the wire, who's supposed to be very well regarded this year. Um, but then they lost to Maryland by 30. Right now they lost two of the last three to Michigan State by over 30 points combined. Um, and, and they're sort of in a rough position because they drew the seven seed, which means they are going to play Michigan State if they beat Penn State. And that will mean they will have played Michigan State uh, three times in five games, which I guarantee no one in the country wants to do, um, especially the way that Michigan State's manhandled them. Um, all their, they're sort of a weird team, quite honestly, because they don't really have anyone that is that. Um, they don't have anyone that you know uh, is the guy that could beat you that night. Mark Loving is probably their only like reliable scorer. Um, all their heart was really Jayshon Tate, who is now out for the season. He's if, if you've watched, he's this guy who doesn't look intimidating. He plays the four. He's about 6'3", 6'4", stocky kid, 
but he he gets every rebound. He outworks everyone else on the floor. He's he's 100% heart, and he is really what made that team go. So I think his injury is going to uh, probably set them back quite a bit. Um, it, they were already kind of on the outside looking in, I think. Um, they are on that bubble, and they're still in the discussion. I think they, they definitely need to win. If they lose to Penn State, they have no chance. They still probably need to beat Michigan State to even have a chance, and even then they're probably still right there on the bubble. They'll definitely be in better position. Um, the one thing about the bubble is, though, if if Ohio State is no, say that they're number the fifth or sixth or seventh team out right now, there's a, that always assumes that the favorites win the conference too. So all you need is a couple other uh, underdogs to maybe to maybe beat a team who's firmly in. And all of a sudden, Ohio State goes from like fifth team out to seventh team out. So, truly, Ohio State really needs to to feel comfortable. They need to beat Michigan State again, and they haven't shown any indication that they have the talent to do that. Yeah, and just to be clear, there are conferences like when we were talking about the MAC earlier. Akron won the regular season, but there's no way in hell they're getting an at-large bid, um, despite what some of their fans might be convinced um it's just not happening it, it, it's a one-bid league no matter who wins the mac championship on saturday night that said though there are some other mid-majors and there's some other uh, high majors where there are teams that could absolutely um, burst the bubble for some of those other teams that are uh, trying to get in you got some teams that um have definitely built up a resume uh that would earn them a spot to get in and maybe they lose their conference tournament. Um, if you're talking to some of these mid-majors, uh, maybe they get upset in the finals of their conference tournament. So now all of a sudden what would have been a one bid league if, if the chalk held up, so to speak, uh, now that becomes a two bid league or you get a scenario like, um, geez, I think it's been 10 years now, maybe even more that, than that. I remember uh, the one time, uh, Syracuse, do you remember when they were in the Big East with uh, Jerry McNamara and they had that team that was like probably not going to make it in even though they were a, a decent Big Ten or a, a Big East team and all of a sudden they went on a huge run, yep. won the Big East tournament and ended up getting in and probably took a spot away from somebody. So that's yeah, what Ohio a, State's up against here. Yeah, there's a couple teams out there I think that are pretty safely in and if they – and otherwise – their conference probably isn't going to get two teams in. Um, one would be SMU, who right now is ranked 25th. They're in the top 25, which usually this time of season means you're going to get in the tournament. Um, ironically, they're not first in their conference, in the American Conference. They've got five more wins than Temple, but one uh, fewer win in conference. So hmm. that's sort of an anomaly there. That puts them in a rough position. Um, SMU's probably guaranteed to get in, but if they don't win that American conference, they're probably, they'll probably still get in, which means the American will get two teams in, which in actuality, they probably wouldn't get otherwise, which would take one of those at large bids away from an Ohio state team. Um, Dayton is another one. I know they're right on the outside of the, um, right on the outside of the top 25, same with St. Mary's on the West coast. So there's a lot of teams out there. I think that, you may not realize it if you're not following college basketball very closely. You may not realize these teams are very firmly in, but they're in a conference that in actuality shouldn't get two teams in. 
So if a team like a Dayton or an SMU or a St. Mary slips up, those are more at large bids that are going to go to other teams that um, just lessen the chances of a team like an Ohio State getting in. To be fair, I'll be totally honest, I don't think Ohio State should get in. I don't think they're that good this year, and I don't think they really have much of a chance to make noise. But um, from a selfish standpoint, you always want your team to get in. And I think um, the thing about it is, even if Ohio State doesn't get in, they're better than a handful of teams that will get in, those teams that are just winning their conference. And that's sort of the thing. I think it's 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 sort of one of those things that has always kind of been a blessing and a curse. It, it's part of what makes the tournament so great, but at the same time, it to me, it, it, it's bothered me in the past when, uh, in particular, a couple years, a handful of years ago, I want to say probably three, four years ago, when UConn won. In actuality, no one thought UConn was the best team in the country. They were right on the bubble. Who knows if they really even deserved to get in if they didn't win their conference. Um, but they got in, they got hot for six games, and they won. So I think that's that's probably a common misconception, is that this tournament is designed to reward the best team, which far more often than not does not happen. I think probably eight, nine times out of ten, the the best team or the one of the best two or three teams in the country isn't the one that actually wins. Yeah. Well, for Ohio State, um, the road to get into the big dance, it, it all starts for them on Thursday night, looks like here, if I got the... Yep, six o'clock. Yep, yeah, six o'clock against 6.30 Penn State. Uh, against Penn State. Um, yep. Unfortunately, that is exactly the same time as uh, my Bobcats are going to be playing Northern Illinois. So uh, I will be locked into the action, and uh, I'm going to have to trust you to tell me all about it after the fact. So I'll keep up on the Bucks. Penn State should be. Um, Penn State's not good. Um, Penn State <laughs> should be as as mediocre as Ohio State is. Penn State still doesn't have the talent, I don't think, um, to hang with them. So Ohio State should should again because they've lost a handful of games this year that they shouldn't have um should win that one fairly well so that shouldn't be too much of a barn burner the thing about it is ohio state's got to play four games in four days if they keep winning which is the other interesting thing about tournament week is if you win you just got to go rest up and play the next day um which keeps things very interesting there's been times in the past where ohio state's had a one or two seat fairly comfortably locked up and people have said, hey, uh, why don't they just rest and, you know, who cares if they win the Big Ten tournament, really? Um, and Thad Mata's always shied away from that. Uh, I will say this, and I was talking to my buddy about this earlier, um, as mediocre to subpar as the season's been for Ohio State, it might – you can make a legitimate argument that it's Thad Mata's best coaching job that he's done at Ohio State because the talent on this team – is probably worse than their record. And the way that he scraped out some wins against teams that he had no business winning against um, has been pretty impressive. Um, He's had some really good teams in the past that haven't been able to get over the hump, obviously. They've been uh, number one teams that have made it to Final Fours and championships. But as far as getting the most out of his team, this might be his Thadmata's best performance. So that's something to look forward to, I think if you're an Ohio State fan, um, is seeing what this team can actually do. If, if they can maybe steal a win against Michigan State and get into the tournament, that's incredibly impressive no matter what happens after that. Um, 
just because, quite frankly, they don't have any business doing that at this point with who they have available and how they've played. Yeah, that, that would be quite a story if they can uh, if they can pull that off. Especially with what Michigan State's done to them. The, the schedule makers did them no favors. They closed the season with um, Michigan State twice and Iowa in between, which I think Iowa was ranked eight at the time when they played. Michigan State right now is ranked number two in the country. So they backloaded Ohio State's schedule like crazy. And if if it was a Michigan State loss earlier in the season, they could maybe you know look like they're playing better right now if it was a lesser opponent or something like that. But who knows? Yeah, if you're trying to put on a good showing late in the year, right. having all Say, your hey, we fixed some of those issues. Yeah, playing two games against Michigan State to close the season isn't isn't what you want to see. Um, it's funny. My buddy was actually we were talking about. You hear all these numbers thrown out like RPI and all this crap that they use that no one really cares about what it means. Um, they just know the lower the number, the better. Um, we were looking at um, the first guys in and the first guys out, the guys that are on the bubble. And most everywhere they had Michigan, um, some had Michigan a couple spots ahead of Ohio State. Some even had Michigan in the tournament um, while – their RPIs are very close. They're like six apart. I think Michigan's 67 and uh, Ohio State's like 74. Mm. Um, but Ohio State has a, a harder strength of schedule. They have the same number of wins if you discount a Division two win that Michigan has. So Michigan has 20 wins. Ohio State has 19. Uh, but one of Michigan's is against a Division two team. So usually that's not counted. And Ohio State won the head-to-head. So most criteria – says Ohio State should be in ahead of them, but for whatever reason, most of the people that are doing the deciding put Michigan ahead of them. And there's not really any rhyme or reason behind it. Um, So there's always this talk of like the snubs, and I have a feeling um, Ohio State will end up being one of those teams that doesn't get in, but I think most Ohio State fans that are being realistic with themselves, if Ohio State doesn't get in, they're going to say, yeah, they just, they didn't do enough to, to solidify earning a spot they might maybe they maybe they were as good as one of those teams that got in but you know if, if you're if you're counting on hey we were the 63rd team that should have gotten in not the 65th or whatever the case is you don't really have any case to stand on no no definitely not well uh tell you what um we're pretty close to an hour here overall for the pod i know there was some other stuff that we wanted to get to but uh, I, I'm not. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to feel too bad about uh, going all in on college basketball for a week. Uh, good time of the year for that. So uh, I think this might be a good point to uh, to call it a night. Cool. Probably have one. Let's try to do. Say probably try to shoot one for one on Monday where we can go over the bracket. Sure, I'm down. You know, let's get that out before everybody has to have this finalized. For the record, don't listen to me because I'm always wrong. So I will give you my picks. <laughs> disregard them <laughs> well the people cannot say they were not warned exactly yeah all right so hey everybody go out and watch some college basketball this weekend um whether you're taking a crash course uh in all of the games that are available on tv on every single sports channel on your cable lineup or if you are going to do like me on saturday uh get down to the queue um, for the MAC tournament here in Cleveland. It's a great event. It's a first-class uh, operation that they run down there. It's a lot of fun. 
um, even if you don't have a rooting interest. And if you do have a rooting interest like I do um, with my Bobcats, it's even better. But, and if uh, you don't have a rooting interest, uh, call your bookie. <laughs> That's uh, Truth, Truthfully, it, it, there, there might not be a more fun weekend, even more fun than the first weekend of the tournament. Um, don't go mortgage your house on it, but if you want to throw 10 bucks down on a favorite, you will instantly enjoy that game you're watching. So pick a team, watch a game. I guarantee if, if, if you haven't enjoyed conference championship weekend before, um, you'll get into it if you pick a team. Even if it's not – even if you don't bet on it, just pick a team and watch the game. I guarantee you're more than likely to get a pretty good game. Yeah, and um, you know it'll uh, it'll give you a nice reprieve from uh, losing your mind over the latest uh, LeBron uh, subtweets and uh, Instagram posts and uh, lackluster performances against severely undermanned teams. He's got a beautiful mind. He does have a beautiful mind. Um, There's nothing beautiful about that game on Monday night, but uh, hey, they're going out west, so they're going to play late night. So you can go get a college basketball fix. Um, every night, and then if you still want to go catch the Cavs, they'll be playing at 10.30 uh, on the West Coast uh, most nights for the next 10 days or so. So uh, there you go. you got uh, sure. basketball wall-to-wall. There you all go. right. Hey, listen, uh, before we go, as always, um, you can catch all of our episodes at thenailpodcast.com. Um, we are available on iTunes. Um, just uh, go to the podcast app on your iPhone, uh, search for The Nail in the Coffin, and hit subscribe, and that way you'll get all of our shows uh, delivered right to your phone. It's great for if you're uh, on the road, you listen to podcasts in your car like I do. And uh, if you're on Twitter, you can always be alerted that we got new episodes up um, by following uh, our Twitter account, at The Nail Podcast. So, uh, yeah, I think that'll do it. Um, for Travis Uly, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.